Today, we have to break down that Purdue loss that absolutely was gut-wrenching for Gophers fans. And then we got to talk about this Jimbo Fisher-PJ Fleck comparison talk because it is not apples to apples, folks. And finally, we got to talk about can this Gophers team still make a bowl game? You are locked on Golden Gophers. No matter what we're going to do here, we're just going to keep rowing. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota Uh, Golden Gophers. Whatever it turns out, we're just going to keep rowing. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're just going to keep rowing, keep rowing, and keep rowing. You are listening to Locked On Golden Gophers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Kane Robb, host of the podcast, former collegiate football video coordinator and recruiting assistant, here to talk Golden Gophers with you each and every day of the week, Monday through Friday, even on the hard days, even after the tough losses, even after the disgusting game that we watched this past Saturday. I'm still here, here each and every day of the week to talk Golden Gophers with you. Now, if you caught the live postcast over at Locked On Sports Minnesota, myself and Ron Johnson dove into this game right away, but I'm here for you, the Gophers fans, so be sure to hit subscribe over on YouTube so you never miss a daily content on Locked, or on Golden Gophers sports. And we're talking women's basketball, men's basketball. We will have some hockey talk coming as well, so be sure to tap in, be sure to follow, subscribe, wherever you get the podcast at Locked on Golden Gophers. But today we have to talk about this Purdue matchup. First of all, what went wrong defensively, offensively? I have something with Ethan Kaliakmanis and how he's been playing well in the first half and not so great in the second halves. I have a theory, and I want to put that out there on today's episode. And then we're going to get into P.J. Fleck because a lot of people are comparing his situation to Jimbo Fisher, who was just fired, and it is not the same. By any means, by any stretch, you're definitely going to at least need to hear me out on that one, and then we'll talk bowl game. But let's dive in on what we saw in this Purdue versus Gophers matchup. Now, let's kick it with the defense first because the defense was abysmal from start to finish. I don't know if there were any bright flashes from the defense this weekend, and that is a little concerning because this was a 2-7 and team at the moment, this is a team that was struggling on a four-game streak of just playing really bad football and having injuries that they're dealing with. They moved their backup center to left tackle. They were all over the place. But this defense could not stop anything. Injuries, of course, hurt this team, but that is not an excuse for how poorly they played this past weekend. You're talking about you had Cody Lindenberg, who was announced as not playing in this game prior to the game. That's already a big loss for the Gophers, but it's something that they could handle and have handled for a majority of the year. Maverick Baranowski has stepped into that role and then some on most of the year, but then he gets knocked out of the game within the first two drives of the defense for this game. That's that's a huge impact to the point where we are playing a true freshman, Matt Kingsbury, in there as our starting middle linebacker. Now, that's a lot to ask. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't gotten practice reps this year. I'm not saying he might have not, he may have been ready to play that level, but it looked like the speed of the game and being in the live bullets, live reps is just a little bit different. Lots of blemishes in this game from all parts of the defense, but the Gophers defense has been attacked a lot in that linebackers and coverage in those nickel cornerbacks. They've been attacked a lot throughout the year. There's been a lot of holes given up and we saw it again in this Purdue matchup, but they weren't hurt as much in that passing game as what we're used to. I mean, 
it was like 200 some yards, which you know what, in the end, in the long scheme of things, it's not terrible. It's not like, Oh, like that was the worst pass defense we've ever had. Now it was very bad. I'm not going to like, there are a lot of times defense should have got off the field and they didn't, but what hurt the worst was that they had over 350 yards rushing. You had two running backs gash you for 120 and 150 yards. And both of those running backs had well under 20 attempts each. Neither one of them got to 20 rushing attempts, but they had those two combined had 277 rushing yards against your defense. The quarterback who has some mobility to him. He ran in Texas like he has that capability, had 44 rushing yards on you. Those three, the two running backs and the quarterback, put them over 300 yards rushing against the Gophers defense that has been good at stopping the run. This was an uncharacteristic game, an unacceptable game. And on top of that, the pressure couldn't get there. So we weren't creating sacks. We even missed on a couple of sack opportunities. And then on top of that, that defensive line was worn out by the second half. Now going into the game, we had talked about, you know what? This might be the second or third best offensive line that we've had to play so far this year. We've played some bad offensive lines, but it was surprising that we did not get home very much on this quarterback. I think we had one sack in the game. And then overall, there were no turnovers created. Created. So you add up injuries, you add up holes all over the place, you add running backs running all over us, up the middle, gashing us, not being touched, having a couple or missed tackles forced here and there. It was too much. And Ron Johnson brought it up in the postgame, but this Purdue team was averaging 8.8 yards per play. This team was dang near averaging a first down every play. That's unacceptable at any level. And they deserve to win the game if they're averaging almost nine yards a play. They were nearly 50% on third downs. They're four for 10. And they were so confident on defense that they could move this ball. They were so confident that our defense couldn't stop them and that they could move the ball on offense because we couldn't stop a nosebleed that they went for it on fourth twice. And I believe both situations were close to about fourth and five, fourth and sixth and converted both of them. The defense was embarrassing. It was one of the worst showings that I've seen from this team defensively in quite some time. But the offense, the offense in the first half looked like maybe they could keep us in this thing. They put up 30 points. One of them was kind of a garbage time score. But regardless, the offense was moving in the first half. And Ethan was clicking. He was diamond, 200 yards, two touchdowns. But the second half, it's like a whole new team. Ethan looked jittery in the second half. The offensive line was just letting people in left and right in the second half. The running backs couldn't really generate much creation in the second half. It was falling apart. We saw uncharacteristic drops from Chris Amon Bell, and the drops just keep coming from different folks. It started off with Brendan Spenford, and then it went on to Corey Crooms. Now it's going on to Chris Amon Bell. It seems like everybody in this room is having drop issues at some point in time, and you have to have it clean at some point to win these games that you are supposed to. But I posted on Twitter asking how could there be such a drop-off in the first half to the second half offense week after week after week. Like it's a night and day difference of this team. And everyone was just like, oh, it's coaching or it's no adjustment. And I get that. I get that, folks. Like, yes, I understand coaching has a lot to do with it. And I don't disagree. But what is the thing that is missing? And here's what I came to. What we see in half one is 
Key scripted plays. This is what the Gophers have been practicing for all week, putting it together. Ethan moves really well. He sees what he's practiced very well in the script, and he dimes it up in that style. And we've seen that. He did it once again in the first half this week, 200 over 200 yards passing, two touchdowns, and even with two bad drops and a crisp slip on a good anticipatory throw that Ethan had going to an out route on the third and long, that brought his completion percentage down to 50%. But you put some of those drops in there. You put that slipped anticipatory throw in there. You're looking at close to 60% passing in the first half. But then everything in the second half, it shook up. And here's what I've I've kind of come to the conclusion of. The second half, I think our coaching staff is asking Ethan Kaliak-Manis to be Tanner Morgan. Now, Tanner Morgan is a very read the field and adjust quarterback, understanding and looking at the line of scrimmage and making his adjustments and all that. But that is not who Ethan is at this point. I'm not saying he can't get there. I'm not saying that he can't have that ability. But Tanner was a read the defense and adjust and respond, rely less on talent and more on trusting the development. Whereas Ethan's strengths this year have been in the quick game, in simpler concepts, or getting on the move and creating with his athleticism and using his ability to place tight throws, otherwise making simple plays to let his playmakers create. That's what has been his strength. And the Gophers go away from that in the second half consistently, week after week. They kept bringing it up on the Big Ten broadcast. Oh, the second half for Ethan is way different. It's not just for Ethan. It's the entire offense. And it's because what you are asking your quarterback to do, because Ethan is not Tanner. And this coaching staff needs to play to Ethan's style and strengths of a full game. Not just the first half, what they scripted and practiced for, because he can get those reads after he's practiced for it and after he's getting it. But when you're in that second half, where the opposing team is going to try and take things away and adjust from what they saw in the first half, then play to eighth in strengths, play a quicker game, play a quicker style, let him get on the run, let him get on the move, let him have simpler throws and make his playmakers like Daniel Jackson and Brevin Sprintford create on their own. Because yes, you want the reads to develop and get to the point where he could play to that Tanner Morgan type strength, but that's not who he is in this moment. And throwing someone into the deep end of the pool after the script has ended that week and doing it week after week after week and saying, swim, that's clearly not working. And the scripted looks aren't always going to hit in the second half because the defense will adjust from what they saw in half one. So the biggest thing that my pops, who's coached at a collegiate level, the high school level and all that, and even Ron Johnson mentioned in the post postcast after this game, Something you, they said is you don't stray away or change things just to change them. Make the defense prove that they can stop it rather than, oh, we already ran that play twice, so we can't run it again because we've put it on. No, who cares? If they can't stop a, sh- a smash concept, run a smash concept like five times in the next 12 plays. If they can't stop an inside zone and they just really get gashed up by inside zone, keep running inside zone and rotating it in that thing and make them prove that they can stop it. Not just one time, like, oh, they stopped it. That was a negative three-yard run. Can't run it again. No. Make them stop it three, four times. Then you can move away from something like that and be like, okay. And I'm not saying run it back to back to back and make them stop it. What I'm saying is keep it in the rotation and make that defense prove they can stop that type of play because if it's gashed them three times in that game, you shouldn't just say, well, we've ran it three times now, so we can't do it again. If they can't stop it, don't take it out of the play calling. 
And again, not right back to back to back. I'm not saying be predictable. What I'm saying is keep it on guard. Keep them scared of that type of play. Because if they can't stop Brevin going in a deep over a drag route, if they can't stop Daniel Jackson 1v1 in coverage, then give them the options to create and call it more often. Make the defense stop you and don't overthink yourself. Now, what we're going to talk about next is P.J. Fleck because folks are bringing up this Jimbo Fisher firing and why P.J. shouldn't be safe. And I'm going to tell you why that thought process isn't apples to apples coming up next. First, I got to talk to you about our friends over at Game Time who have the best last minute tickets for you. In fact, they have the best price guarantee and you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting ready for the fun you are about to have at that event. And it is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Game time, you get images of your seats before you know or before you buy them so you know exactly what to expect. In fact, I went to the Celtics Timberwolves game. I went and looked up the seats and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not too bad. And I got there and the seats Felt even better than what I saw in the image. So definitely use that advantage to your advantage. And also you can get last minute tickets and deals right up to the start of the event or even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last minute tickets. So go to download the game time app, create an account and use promo code lockdown college for $20 off your first purchase. Again, download the game time app and use promo code locked on college for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. All right, Gophers fans, we got to talk about PJ Fleck because there are Gophers fans out there. I mean, every week that there's any struggle, there's a handful of the fan base that are like, oh, he's got to be fired. I'm done. He's a salesman, shtick, snake oil, whatever. You hear it every week, but it gets louder and louder when there are more losses that start to pile up and then you see a big coach like Jimbo Fisher who has a national championship with Florida State got paid big bucks to come to Texas A&M and it just hasn't clicked now they've competed they've got eight win seasons nine win seasons seven win seasons they've had some consistent winning between seven and nine but they haven't gotten to an SEC championship game they haven't gotten to the point where they're beating their rivals over and over they haven't gotten to the point where it feels like they can be a true contender now P.J. Fleck has had similarities in that case in the Big Ten and struggles with Iowa. We got that win this year, but what I'm saying is some of the big games, we haven't been able to get to the Big Ten Championship. I see the similarities there, but this situation is not similar. It is not apples to apples. It is, in fact, apples to oranges. Yes, P.J. Fleck's job is safe, and I have no little, I have very little hesitation in saying that because the investment in the community and the program that he has in here, the investment in recruiting, the investment into the program and making it a life program, player development, we've seen more pros in a short term than we've seen in quite some time from the Scopers program, and those pros are putting out starting level caliber Play, John Michael Schmitz, starting center. Jordan Howden, starting at safety. Blake Cashman's balling out with the Texans. Terrell Smith had been starting prior to his injury. Rashad Bateman has been starting and looking to get back into more progression after the injuries he's had in the last few years. You pair all of that with winning season of 11 wins, 9 wins, and 9 wins, and he's given himself some leeway. That's what I'm saying here. That said, this year, this year that we have seen from the Gophers should have been better. Plain and simple, the Illinois, the Purdue, and the Northwestern losses should have been wins. Injuries or not, young team or not, coaching or not, growing team or not, 
it is a down year, but it isn't a fireable offense. And why they are so different between Jimbo and PJ Fleck is this because you can't you can't compare the two situations. Texas AM has had consistent recent success or similar success in wins prior to Jimbo. Minnesota had not. Last time Texas AM won nine or more games back to back years was 10 years prior to Jimbo. 2012, 2013. The last time Minnesota had won back-to-back nine games or more in back-to-back seasons, hundred year over a hundred years ago, 1905. The NIL is way different between these two teams. Texas A&M has had one of the largest presence in NIL in the space across the entire country and has a ton of alumni with major, major donors to the program to compete in at the very top of that space. Minnesota probably doesn't even have 10% of that NIL competitive type money to offer student athletes. Recruiting is way different. Texas is one of the biggest recruiting pipelines in the entire country for all schools. And on top of that, keeping players home in Texas is very different than keeping players home in Minnesota. It has much bigger impacts because Texas A&M before Jimbo was 13th in recruiting in 2017. They were 18th in recruiting in 2016. They're 11th in recruiting in 2015. Now with Jimbo in the last five years, they've been 10th, 15th, 1st, 8th, and 6th. Top 10 in almost every one of those years. But Jimbo was being paid as the fourth best coach in the SEC. Behind Saban, behind Smart, and behind LSU's Kelly. PJ Fleck has been being paid as the 8th highest paid coach in the Big Ten, and his salary would be like 12th in the SEC. It is not the same. The weather is different for recruiting. That plays a factor. It is very, very different. And now if, if Minnesota was investing as much into Coach Fleck, plus we had top 10 recruiting classes consistently on top prior to him, plus we were selling out millions and millions to NIL from huge boosters and it wasn't turning into wins, then I'll get it. But that's not the situation, not even in the slightest. But something does need to change. So I don't know exactly what that is. Some people might be like, oh, Coach Rossi spent his time here. That's more reactionary in my opinion because you do have injuries. We haven't had Cody Lindenberg almost the entire season. When he comes and plays, he makes a huge difference. On top of that, you've had some secondary issues. You've had some – there's been little things. But we have seen what Coach Rossi can do, and we have seen even in flashes this year what Coach Rossi has this defense doing. Now, it's a younger team, so hopefully next year we have more of the consistency that we are used to seeing like the past two years. But I don't think he's the answer as a change. Now, I would love to point towards the offensive coordinator because I think keeping the same type of system in-house and changing coordinators over and over just isn't it. Our offense hasn't been what it needs to be for many years now. And we've been bailed out by talent. We've been bailed out by having Bateman and Tyler Johnson. We've been bailed out by Mo being an all-world running back at the collegiate level. That's where things get dicey, though, is changing your offensive coordinator. You've already had a change there in the last three years. You've had three changes there in the last three years. So doing it again and having turnover after turnover after turnover at a key position is tough to be successful anywhere. So I don't know what that is. If they change offensive coordinators, can they go and get someone who's more modern, who's more pushed to pass the ball and then play to the strengths and have Daniel Jackson ball out and have more pass catchers that want to be involved? Kenrick O'Neill is going to be a guy. I'm telling you that now. Big 10. He hasn't played a single snap in the Big 10. I'm telling you. He's going to be a dude. 
But can we have a team that likes to throw the ball and push the ball and still maintain running, still maintain Darius Taylor running all over folks, Jordan Newbin getting involved, having them included in the pass game. We've seen that be a strength for Darius Taylor. That is where my mind goes. There does need to be a change, but I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be P.J. Fleck, and comparing him to Jimbo Fisher is just not apples to apples. It doesn't make sense. Now, what we're going to do to wrap this one up is we are going to talk about can the Gophers still make a bowl game. It's going to come down to the wire, folks, and we're going to dive into that coming up next. First, I need to talk to you about our friends over at Jace Medical because you and me, we spend a lot of time together, you and I, and we get fired up together over the wins. We get just downright upset about the losses. We talk about who starts, who sits, and I'm thankful for the connection that we have. And today, I want our chat to be a little bit more personal. Now, I just learned that you can get up to a year supply in ED medications, and you realize what that means, right? That means you can bring on extended travel, bring on the next natural disaster or supply chain issues, and you are still covered, my friend. You don't have to worry about a polar vortex or whether or not you can refill your generics. You have it all possible for you at Jace Medical. Now, you can go to jacemedical.com to receive 12 months supply of your daily medication. And remember that if you use promo code locked on at checkout, you get a discount as well. So a verified customer even said that with Jace, they are super thankful for the service because supply chain issues caused them to cut pills in half to have it. And guess what? They ordered their daily medications with Jace Medical as a year supply and an antibiotic kit, and they feel secure now. And the prices were even lower than their local pharmacy. So if you or someone you love would like to have peace of mind and having a year supply of your any daily medication, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. And remember, use promo code Locked On for $20 off your purchase. All right, Gophers fans, we got to talk about can the Gophers still make a bowl game? It's going to come down to the wire here. Yes, it is possible, but it will not be easy. Now, the Gophers take on Ohio State this upcoming weekend, and I'm going to tell you right now, there is no chance that Minnesota is beating the number one team in the country. I don't mean that to be a negative fan, but it ain't happening. It is not happening in any world. Our past defense is 67th in the country. It's shown holes all over left and right, and a lot of teams have picked us apart in the passing game. Now we are about to take on the best wide receiver in the entire country who is literally a Heisman candidate, could finish as a Heisman finalist. And then beyond him, beyond Maserati Marv, they've got Emeka Igbuka, they've got Cade Stover, they've got guys that can get it done. Carnell Tate, Brandon or uh, Noah Rogers, Brandon Innes, guys that have the talent to show out. They are super deep. They are a great passing team, and that hasn't even brought up Travion Henderson, who might be the best running back in this next draft class if he decides to leave. So it's just not happening this year. We're not competing with Ohio State, and I will happily, happily come on this show and eat crow if it does happen. So that leaves you with the final game versus Wisconsin. Your number one rival here at Dinkytown, at home, the X will be on the line. They will want to spoil the Gopher season, and on top of that, they might need to con- they might need to still qualify for a bowl themselves. That is a lot of pressure on one game, and right now we haven't seen this Gophers team deal with pressure very well, plain and simple. Because when we have had pressure situations, I think we have had one win in a pressure situation, and that was the Iowa game, in which some people don't even want to give it to us. 
This Gophers team has had issues with handling pressure, and there's going to be a whole lot of it on that final game of the season with a bowl on the line for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Now, with how this team has collapsed at times, I won't count it as a lock. Plain and simple. There might be some fans that look at uh, what Wisconsin did against Northwestern last week, and Wisconsin's been struggling as well. You're right. They have been struggling. They have been dis disappointing just as much as the Gophers have. In fact, I had called at the beginning of the year that Wisconsin was probably going to struggle in year one with Luke Fickle. Not because Luke Fickle's bad, but it is hard to make adjustments from going from a G5 power or G5 coach to a power five coach. It takes time. There isn't a lot of coaches who have eight, nine win seasons, regardless of how easy their schedule might look. And they're finding that out firsthand. But regardless, they're going to get the best game that Wisconsin can put on the field is going to probably happen when they come to Minnesota because they want that ax back. It's been two years now, two very long years for them. Hopefully we'll make it three. They want to spoil Minnesota season. They're sick of hearing Minnesota fans. They're sick of Coach Fleck. They don't like Coach Fleck. And on top of that, they might need to qualify for a bowl themselves if they lose to Nebraska this week. So it truly depends on which Gophers team shows up in that weekend to see if they can actually play for another bowl game this season. And you know what? <laughs> it's going to be tough. It is going to be very tough because when Minnesota has played winnable games, they haven't won, and that's been an issue for this team. We've talked about needing poise, but there hasn't been a ton of poise for this team. They've overcome some adversity, but they haven't always had poise. So it turns this Ohio State game into a learning matchup, but you can't go out there and perform like you did against Michigan because that was a learning matchup. How do you compete with some of the best of the best? Ohio State's the number one team in the country right now. You can't go out there and lose 52-10. to 10. You can't. That will be so demoralizing, and it will it will beat down your program and your players and the drive to try and win in the final game of the season and try to get to a bowl game. You have to go out there against Ohio State this weekend. You have to show fight. You have to keep building in the pass game. You have to find ways to improve on defense even through the injuries because losing to Ohio State like we did to Michigan is going to be too demoralizing and make it even harder to bounce back in a week that you absolutely have to win in the finale, to get to a bowl game. We'll see if the Gophers can respond. We'll see if they can put some, some better plays on tape, some more confident things on the field, and so much more this weekend. But then it all comes down to the line, looking for the X back to back to back. We're going to talk about basketball later this week. We're probably going to dive a little bit on basketball tomorrow. We'll talk about Ohio State and more tomorrow as well. I'll see you then. Roll the boat, Scotty Mago Gophers. And as always, don't forget to subscribe.